Does it play? All right. Beautiful. So, I guess we'll just have to be ad lib on my end. So this like fairly fit gentleman was going to show you that three minutes a day of doing this intense ab workout is all you need to get the body you desire. You've heard of six-minute abs, right? But in half the time, you can get just as good of a body, and that's all you have to do is commit three minutes a day. As I was looking through this, there's two-minute abs. There's even a one-minute ab program. And I know this is silly because it's fully illogical, but we also really want that to be the case, don't we? We know we want or need something, but we want to give as little effort and time as possible to it in order to get the results that we want. And the sad thing is that standard church approach. A majority, a strong majority of people from every nationality, every religion across all of human history have approached their spirituality with that exact same mindset. Deep within us is an intrinsic longing for something bigger than this world can provide. And we know it, deep within us, that money, possession, success, approval of others, whatever your desire is, whatever your idols are, they are unable to truly satisfy you. That the life that you want can only be given to you if you come to your creator, the one that made you. But so often we approach it as if it was a three-minute workout or social media, another good metaphor. We engage for a few seconds and then scroll on to something else. But we wonder why we can't experience God in the same way that Moses and David and the apostles were able to. Now, I believe firmly that salvation the point when a person is forgiven of everything that they've done and everything that they will do and are fully redeemed with their creator, I believe that comes when we simply cry out to God. When we genuinely say, God, I need you. Without you, I have nothing else. Come and save me. When you do that, you are eternally secure. But in order to experience more of God's goodness this side of heaven, it so often requires us to commit our time, energy, and abilities to the one who gave us our time, energy, and abilities. There are many different ways to do this. You have prayer, study, meditation, fasting, giving, serving, things that have been tagged the disciplines. These are ways to make, your, make God your priority, which then allows him to pour more and more of his life into your days. Tonight, we're going to focus on the importance of being a part of the church, which I believe is also a discipline. Now, according to the Bible, church should be a major component of our life. It's an important part of having what Jesus refers to as the abundant life, which means you have fulfillment, purpose, joy. But we, you, me, and every other Christian see church as only a sliver of the overall pie of life. We define it as a building we go to once or twice a week, so that way we can be sung and talked at. In many ways, we see church through the consumerism lens. Church exists so that way we can get whatever we want out of it and then easily walk away. Because we act out of this definition, we only see a mere fraction of the benefits 
of, that God wants us to see through his church. Tonight, if nothing else, I hope you walk away with a more proper definition of church and what you need to do in order for you to experience more of the incredible life-giving benefits that naturally flow out of it. So let's start with church redefined. To put it simply, we are the church. The Bible defines the church as a group or assembly of people called together for a particular purpose. Big picture, this is referring to every follower of Jesus or child of God. The universal church, which usually, if you're reading it, has a capital C, is every person throughout all of human history that has openly declared their need for the God of the Bible. God has called us together to accomplish his will, for him to be glorified and for others to be loved. In smaller contexts, church, remember, a group or assembly of people called together for a particular purpose, is usually referring to the local church, usually lowercase c. It is a collection of believers that have found various forms of connection that make them want to gather together on a regular basis. They are in similar stages of life. They like the style of worship music. They believe in the same interpretation of whatever biblical passage. They come from the same socioeconomic status. They like to dress to the nines or only wear blue jeans. And the list goes on and on and on. There's over 50 churches in Rapid City alone. Small c. In both the big and small picture definitions, we, the people, are the church. We believe that the God of the Bible is real and that Jesus is who we need in order to be safe from our own foolish choices. Therefore, we are the people of God. We also see ourselves chosen, I don't know if you ever think this way, to be a part of Rimrock downtown. And you've chosen this place for various reasons. Maybe for you it's because everyone here is extremely good looking and you know they finally fit how good looking you are. Or because a lot of us are in the midst of the craziness of raising little kids, three weeks old, right? Or because you like the downtown location or the style of music, or this one I hope is true, you want to learn more about the God of the Bible. We are Rimrock Downtown, the people, not the building or the hour-long service. Let's look at some verses that support this. So Ephesians 2, this is talking about the universal church. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Now, if any of these verses catch your attention, please write them down, memorize them, take a screenshot, whatever, and go home and dig into it because there's so much depth in this. This is stating that everyone who believes that Jesus is God is being brought together, spiritually knit together, and turned into our Creator's dwelling place. So that's a universal church, big C. Let's look at one that kind of talks more about the body or the local church. 1 Corinthians 12. And this is kind of abridged because Paul goes on and on with different examples. But for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Then he starts talking about the analogy of the body. But as it is, God arranged members in the body, physical body, each one of them as he chose. If it were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is, I believe, referring to the local church, Rimrock Downtown, that we have all been brought together in this space for specific roles. Without each one of us, Rimrock Downtown cannot be what God designed it to be. Please hang on to that thought. I know it's so easy to see yourself as just a small little individual that comes and goes, but according to the Bible, we're going to look at more and more verses that support this, you are an integral part of what God designed Rimrock Downtown to be. Now, each of these metaphors gives us a better idea of the biblical definition of church. It is a collection of individuals that have been brought together for a specific purpose. The same one that brought us together is building us into something stronger and far more capable. Each person involved plays an important role to accomplish those purposes with the, which the church has been created for. And the strength of the church depends so much upon the unity of the church. Now, from what I've read and what I've experienced, the church exists for at least two purposes. One, to support and encourage those within the church. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Next week, to proclaim the goodness of God to those outside the church. There's a purpose within, purpose without. So let's look at the purpose within. Now, for me, this is quite logical. A group of people have the ability to support and encourage one another. There is power in numbers. Going through the goods and bads of this life alone would be extremely unenjoyable and potentially impossible. Now think about your family and your friends and all the things that they have provided for your life. How much they've given you intellectually and emotionally. The opportunities that they've allowed you to have and the resources that they have supplied for you. Even though they are not perfect, without them, your life wouldn't be as good as it is right now. A group of people that, des- have, that have the desire to help each other live better lives do exactly that. And we definitely see this in the New Testament church right off the bat. So let's look at some passages. Acts 2. So those, this is right after the Pentecost. The disciples, apostles have been filled with the Spirit, and they start proclaiming who Jesus is. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those being saved. Let's look at one more passage, just a couple chapters later. Acts 4. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, before we move to direct application, let's talk a little bit of the context of their situation. Right, so two different points I want to point out. The disciples and those who became a part of their community were living in a culture whose leaders had publicly executed Jesus. This was not a safe place or time to be a disciple of Jesus, especially if you were openly proclaiming that he was who he said he was, God, and that he was raised from the dead. So it makes sense why they would remain together, especially when they were traveling around in public. Right? Like I said before, there's power in numbers. The second thing that's important to know when you're thinking about this, they were fully devoted to sharing the gospel. If you keep reading in Acts, day after day, the apostles were in the temple telling people about Jesus. They most likely didn't have time to work as a fisherman or a carpenter or whatever to raise money for themselves, so they had to rely on each other in order to be able to do what they want to do. For us... Just because the early church lived communally does not mean we are called to do the same. Right? I like you all, but let's not be crazy. <laughs> if we lived in northern Korea, this might be a very different form of application. But the culture in which we live in does not require this sort of action. But regardless, there are very important principles that we can gain from their story. Two of them specifically I want you to look at. One, they lived like a community, and they were focused on the same goal. They lived like a community, and they were focused on the same goal. Now, they spent more time together than sitting in the same room for one hour a week. They broke bread, or they ate food together. I'm sure they also went fishing or hiking, or maybe pottery, or whatever they did to, that they enjoyed, I'm sure they did that together. By doing this, they got to know one another. When people get to know one another, they are better able to support and encourage each other. How well do you know the people that you go to church with? How many people's names in this room do you know? Or if you go to the main campus, how many people's names up there do you know? What about their basic information? What they do, their relationship status, what they enjoy doing? Now, this isn't a competition. I ask you these questions in hopes of helping you evaluate whether or not you know the people that God has called you together with, the one that he has a plan for you to accomplish specific purposes with. Remember the Bible's body church analogy? Let's look at another one, Ephesians 4. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it's equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in love. Promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. God has brought each of us and the other 50 or 100 people that call Rimrock Downtown home here together for specific reasons. 
A major one of those reasons is to support and encourage one another. Let's think a little bit more about that analogy. The human body can only healthily and effectively operate if each of its individual parts are working to support one another. Imagine what would happen if you didn't have an immune system. Imagine what would happen if you didn't have a kidney. Dr. Franz, what would happen if you didn't have those two? You have two of them? Nice. What if you didn't have either of those? <laughs> right? The body would not work. <laughs> well done, sir. Is that part of being like an MD, is that you got to be witty and willing to like quickly debase people that are putting you on the spot? <laughs> Seems like you're good at it. No, I love it. Right? The same, though, is true for our community. We each have the ability to come alongside other people to help them deal with the innate hardships of this life. Let me give you an example. So six, nine months ago, a group of guys started meeting together, and their connection point is divorce. One has been divorced, the other one is going through a divorce, and two of the other ones were on the verge of divorce. The group meets together once a week to support and encourage each other as they walk through really tough times. To do this, they don't simply complain about their spouses. Rather, they openly express what they are dealing with and then gain wisdom from each other on the best ways to handle their situation and emotions. But even more importantly, they are individually and collectively doing what they can to depend more on God for comfort and for guidance through this mess. Now through this, I've got to witness two marriages saved. And each of these men go much deeper in their reliance on God and their desire to love the individual that, that they, at times, wanted to hate. Now if they had only interacted with each other in a passing on Saturday nights, there is no way that they would have experienced the support and encouragement that they have now. As members of the same community, we have the ability to do much more for each other when life gets hard. But in order to do this well, we must know each other. And I believe that genuine and real support can only come when you actually know a person. Otherwise, it's trite, superficial, and ineffective. If we want the benefits of being a part of a church, we must live like a community. Now, the beauty of community is that the benefits don't only come in the midst of suffering. They also come when life is good. The second thing, the principle that I see with the early church is that they were focused on the same goal. We see this in Acts 2 and in Acts 4. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Bottom line, the church, we exist so that God can be elevated higher than anything else in this world. For that to happen, we must individually make God our priority. But doing this alone is impossible. You can try to argue me on that one, but I believe it is impossible to do that on your own. We don't currently live in a culture that violently stands against Christianity, but our culture definitely operates in ways that are contrary to the God of the Bible's design. Because we are constantly surrounded by the norms of being self-reliant and doing whatever is best for me in the moment, we are heavily influenced to be self-centered. 
This is why we must continually meet with like-minded people. Even though our culture as a whole believes and operates in certain ways, we can easily create our own subculture that supports and encourages our beliefs and the ways that we want to live. Now, meeting for one hour a week to worship God, learn biblical truths, and to enjoy the camaraderie of other Christians definitely helps. It allows us to be reinforced in our countercultural approach to life. You know, this week my wife referred to Saturday nights as a time of rejuvenation. It can fill back up your tanks, give you one or two things to consider for the rest of the week, and really give you the joy from all the smiles you get from interacting with other people. But if you want God to be elevated above everything else in your life, then more than just 0.9% of your week has to be spent with other believers. Let me give you one more example. So 10 years ago, as God was in the midst of moving into my extremely broken world and bringing about what one author calls a second conversion, when I finally started living as if what I believed was true was actually true, my wife and I decided to join a small group. We met once a week for a few months with a room full of strangers to talk about the sermon. You know, it was a bit awkward at first, but in retrospect, I gained far more from those discussions and the relationships that came from those gatherings than I did from listening to the pastor. And he was a really good pastor, far better than me. Those times with fellow believers encouraged and supported me to make God a higher priority than my own selfishness, such as getting wasted or smoking weed all the time. By gathering with other people who understand the reality of God and the importance of seeking His guidance, you will be able to stay more continually focused on the one who made you and then receive the life that only He can give to you. Let's look at one more verse that talks about similar analogies we've been looking at. Colossians 2. Holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Let's think about the body again. Imagine what the hand would be like without any muscles, ligaments, or tendons. It would be totally worthless. But because of all of the connecting pieces, it is able to do whatever the brain tells it to do. The same is true for us. Meeting with others on a regular basis who know the reality and the power of God will allow you to stay focused and connected to the only one that can give you the life that you want. All right. As I finish up, it's time for a little bit of application. And if you've been around here at all the last couple of months, I just seem to be wanting to challenge you more and more. Now, based on the number of people in your life that see Jesus as God, you have that many opportunities to function in the way that the Bible showed us a church should. I hope that makes sense. You can interact with any Christian that you know. You can invite them over for dinner. You can start small groups. You can encourage them. The church, whether it's small or big C, is truly at your hands to do what God wants you to do with it. But to make your ability to apply these biblical truths to your life more obvious and easier, you have three opportunities right now tonight. First one, before you leave, meet someone new. 
You don't have to become best friends or hear each other's life stories. Simply say hi. Introduce yourself. Ask them what they do or if they did anything for the holidays or how they feel about the weather, right? It does not matter. But these simple little statements can sometimes lead to deeper connections. But regardless of how close you feel after your 30-second conversation ends, the next time you see each other, you can make eye contact. You can say hi. You might even remember their name. It's so simple, but it can, whatever analogy you want to use, it can like be built to bigger things. It can be a domino effect for more interactions, right? It starts with a simple hello. Second thing, sign up for a Rimrock Downtown monthly dinner. Starting in February, there will be groups of six to eight people having dinner together once a month for three months with the intention of getting to know each other well. A few of us did it this fall. It was great. It required low-level commitment, right, an hour and a half a month, right? Anybody can, most people can blot that out in their schedule, but it gives you the ability to actually get to know people when you sit across the table from them. Third opportunity, join a small group. Currently, we have two starting in February. The groups actually gather once a week to focus on a certain topic of study. I've been a part of a lot of different small groups over the years, and for me, they are always worth the time. And all you have to do, if you look around the chairs and around you, in front of you, there's a form to fill out. You can put it inside the offering tower, or you can go online and do this. But if you want to experience God the way that you have only read about people experiencing Him, Living in the midst of other believers is essential. But it's up to you to make it happen. As the musicians come up, just close your eyes with me. Pray however you pray. God, we want more of you. We've just heard stories about how how good you can make life be. And that's what we want. We want more than what we have. Personally, I understand that people that you love, that love you, that you have called to be a part of my life are a big piece of me experiencing more of you. So I ask that you would make those connections happen. Like it says in Ephesians, that you are knitting us together spiritually. And so I ask, Spirit, that you would just work in this room, in this church over the next month in order to make those connections happen, make them real. So that way we can experience more of you and be supported through the hardships that this life will bring. Thanks for giving us these people, God. Amen.